Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Leland Sklar, and you are digging Pantheon Podcast. Yes! History in Five Songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again. We are back with another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Podcasts. We are part of the massive Pantheon Podcast Network available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. Now, Before we get into this episode, which is episode number 74, I wanted to uh, talk about episode uh, 73 just briefly. Um, So it was a fun episode. It's about crazy ideas like like singers going out and basically singing the phone books, you know, trading with other bands, singing on their classic albums, themed themed compilation albums, uh, people redoing their albums, um, the idea of slowing down their songs, speeding them up, giving us compilations of that, blah, blah, blah. Go listen to it. It was a fun episode. It was very cool. But there were some neat comments that came in on the uh, on the Facebook page uh, that I wanted to read that uh, augmented what I talked about, basically brought up things I should have talked about and forgot about. So I just wanted to mention a few of those uh, just to keep your creativity moving on this. So... Um, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, um, great um, supporter of the show, um, he says, made me think of Piggy from Voivod, recording lots of demos and riffs. Then we got Katoras and Infini. Um, so yeah, this was really cool. So this was the idea where I was saying, you know, um, you know, Rob Halford should go in and sing, 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 sing to his heart's content while he can. Uh, but, you know, Piggy uh, died died of cancer, and he left around a lot of riffs. This is just like the Eddie Van Halen situation where I said Wolfgang could go make records. Um, basically, you know, beyond beyond the grave, Piggy basically was still making. Um, there we go. The basically again, eh? Uh, making Voivod albums. Um, so I said to him uh, that, um, and I, I mentioned to Augustine that I, I do recall I have Camper Van Beethoven doing Tusker the Wall. Dream Theater uh, does a lot of covering of full albums and stuff. Oh yeah, here, here he corrects me. It was Tusk. I do have a copy of that. Uh, Bruce Campbell, uh, also great supporter of the show, mentioned uh, was some of Jeff Hanneman's stuff used posthumously too with Slayer, and I believe it was. 
was. Um, Blaze Barshaw, also um, a supporter of the show on on Kofi, a problem is in this fickle world. Nobody would probably make any money on them, which always seems the excuse not to make these albums these days. I kind of disagreed with them. I thought some of this stuff could really sell. Um, Let's see. What's the problem, do you think? Ego, legality. Yeah, Blaze asked that, and I said, yeah, the problem with doing a lot of these crazy ideas would be legalities uh, between record labels and... um, and uh, and egos. Let's see. Uh, Martin really loved that episode. Creative out of the box as Bill's worse. Uh, Matthew Kuiper says, "What uh, what I love about this episode is that it just oozes metal nerd. Like we can't stop thinking about this stuff and all these ideas that you connect across generations of music." Let's see. Uh, here would be the possibly the craziest idea: Shanker playing the leads on the Chapman UFO albums. Joe backed. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and it's totally in the spirit of what. So this is funny. Leighton, Leighton Kerr mentioned, you'd love the original Sabbath to go in the studio and just churn out songs to the last 20 years, to which I answered, well, that's a little bit different. That's like doing 100% work. So there's nothing crazy about that idea. It's just going in and doing something we all want. But I said in the spirit of this episode, it's more like Ozzy and Sharon should make a deal with MCA and go sing on all the Budgie albums. Uh, let's see. Such a great episode. This is probably my favorite so far, and I've listened to them all. What would be fantastic, this is Brian Vandeput, um, is some of the artists heard in this episode and took it to heart. Are you listening, Rob Halford? Yeah, that's that's my fantasy with this show, that some of these rock stars would actually listen to this show. That would be kind of cool. Uh, great episode. <laughs> Showed a picture of the Pat Boone, no Mr. Nice Guy thing. Metallic recorded Saint Anger was a crazy idea. There's Rich Catino making a joke. And Lulu says Augustine. Uh, <laughs> true. Um, that, yeah, Lulu was a crazy idea. Um, okay, anyways, let's leave it at that because that's not why you came to hear this episode. Uh, well, you don't even know why you came to hear this episode yet because uh, I haven't told you what it is. Um, although it does have a title, right? So this is episode 74, Not in the Rock Hall. So this is a follow-up to... Uh, an episode I did, episode 16, when the Rock Ho- Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees um, were announced uh, way back for 2020. Now we've had the, um, you know, the, the ones that get in, the inductees. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Just a little preamble. I'm not a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hater. Um, I have fond memories of Cleveland and a connection to that place we've seen, we've seen, um, you know, football games there. We've had the we've had the Brave Words uh, fests there. I've been to the Rock Hall a few times. Uh, fond memories of um, going to the Goldmine Record Show and meeting Jim Gustafson from Pooh and actually the first time ever I met Joe Bouchard uh, from Blue Oyster Cult there. Um, but we were in that, and Goldmine itself has a long association with. Um, with uh, the Rock Hall, and I've been writing for them for years, and um, as I've mentioned before, I have written these impassioned long essays on why why Yes should get in, why Judas Priest should get in, why Deep Purple should get in. Two of those actually happened. Um, Judas Priest, not yet. We'll get to that a little more. But um, I've written these things, and they've been in print in the magazine, and they've been online, and people like like reading them, and uh, they're, they're basically the, the big arguments of why these bands should get in. Um, so yeah, so I'm not a hater. Uh, I love like over the years, like like most of the stuff seems to be getting in more or less correctly. You know, obviously there's the big tragedies, uh, travesties, and that's what this whole show is about. Um, but uh, but you know, 
as as time moves on, good stuff happens, and it's kind of cool. And and what I like about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that it actually does have traction. It's not ridiculed nearly as badly as the Grammys, for example, or MTV Music Awards, um, Music Video Awards, whatever it's called, where you're awarding everything to the band and not the person who made the video. It's dumb, right? Um, anyways, um, I, I feel the same way about the Academy Awards. I mean, the, the 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 writer of the story is the most important person in any movie. I think. Uh, so, yeah, let's uh, let's have a little bit of a of a mop up on 2020 first of all, uh, and then we'll get into um, my five choices. So 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 what this episode is about is my five choices. My next burning five choices of why aren't these guys in and these guys should be the ones, you know, if I had my say, uh, who would get in, you know, and one day I may, uh, I may become a little more involved in the rock hall. Cause like I say, I'm not a hater. Um, so, uh, okay. So let's, let's mop up on 2020. So, so one of the, why I, why I really enjoyed doing that episode 16 is that they really tempted us this year with some astonishing, very cool choices. MC5, they'd been nominated a bunch of times before. I was surprised to see they've been nominated a, a, a lot. There's a list you can see where MC5 was nominated in 2003, 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. Completely bizarre. Um, so MC5 was on that list. Uh, Motorhead was nominated. Wasn't that cool? Thin Lizzy was nominated. I did not expect these. Soundgarden was nominated. Um, bunch of other. Judas Priest was nominated. But what happened? So who got in? This this is a little annoying to me after being tempted with so many great choices. Um, the ones that went in were Depeche Mode, Doobie Brothers, Whitney Houston, Nine Inch Nails, Notorious B.I.G. and T-Rex. I mean, I would agree that, that you know, sensibly most of those should have got in. I wouldn't have been so big on Notorious B.I.G. or T-Rex. Um, but the other uh, four, Nine Inch Nails, Depeche Mode, Doobie Brothers and Whitney Houston, I, I find that sensible. And that's the other thing I try to do with these Rock Hall rants, whether it's in print or online or these episodes or whatever. I'm trying to be sensible about the whole thing. And when I did that episode 16, you know, I was I was like, you know, Thin Lizzy, one of my favorite bands of all time. Should they get in? I don't know uh, at this point. Motorhead, same thing. MC5, same thing. Um, but uh, but so so, you know, this list is pretty good. Uh, except for it was really non-metal, uh, you know, compared to the mix of, of who was nominated. All right. So let's get into our first selection here uh, of my my latest five, my five right now, uh, as I'm speaking here in November of 2020. Um, take a listen to this. This is Blue Oyster Cult with Take Me Away. All right, so I, for years, uh, Blue Oyster Cult is absolutely one of my favorite bands of all time. I've written 
a couple, well, one, one Blue Oyster Cult book that's been renewed a few times. We just had come out, Blue Oyster Cult of Visual History. So I guess I've written two totally different Blue Oyster Cult books. But um, totally one of my favorite bands of all time, and I'm working on this Imaginals project. Um, but uh, for years and years and years, everybody would bring up Blue Oyster Cult, and I would say no. Uh, you know, there's a lot of bands ahead of Blue Oyster Cult to get in. We're getting to the point where Blue Oyster Cult probably really should get in. Why? I would say they were they were a cool hard rock band with a lot of complication with with poppiness, keyboards, bit of progginess, uh, great ballads, uh, four different four different lead singers in the band, um, and uh, critics darlings and heavy at the same time. A lot of pretty big hits that you still hear on on rock radio. Uh, well, maybe not a lot. Obviously, Reaper, but but Godzilla, other things. Now, I played you "Take Me Away" because what you're going to notice uh, the songs that I've picked here. Um, I've picked later later period songs when the band still had some steam. Um, so one of my one of my criteria um, one of my criteria on of my criteria. Um, for these picks was that these bands had second steams or long careers where they had some success and that's why I picked Take Me Away. Now granted uh, Revolution by Night didn't go gold but it, it still sold pretty well. It was it was in that 300, 400,000 range. Uh, this was a single off it. Good heavy song. First track on the album. Love it. It's about UFOs. Uh, Eric Bloom loves this stuff, right? Um, so uh, so th- great song but um, more, more on these guys. So, so Secret Treaties was gold. Agents of Fortune, Platinum. Their single live album, Some Enchanted Evening, uh, Platinum. Their first double live album, On Your Feet or On Your Knees, gold. Fire of Unknown Origin is gold. And, you know, I've, I've talked to the guys a bunch of times about this. I, I think their numbers are a little underrepresented in the whole, whole certification thing. And for years, um, you know, the guys in Blue Oyster Cult, pretty much correctly surmised that Fire of Unknown Origin probably should be platinum, uh, I imagine. Burning For You and all that. It was a big album. You know, and this is a band that that was playing big places, selling lots and lots of tickets and headlining as early as sort of 75 through through definitely, you know, up into the uh, 82-ish range. Uh, things obviously dropped off for them. But, um, you know, one thing against them is, is they were semi-retired, essentially, starting really after 1984. I mean, 86 they had an album, 88, I think 98, 01, and they just put out another one. So, so they've been spread out a long time. Uh, you know, I've seen arguments on the internet for bands like saying, well, they've lost some steam, you know, they've fallen off the radar. And Blue Oyster Cult kind of did because they they became a band that you know to their credit toured 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 all the time you know playing a lot of club dates and a lot of casinos and and you know farm fairs and all that kind of stuff so but they never they never were a huge huge massive band again that that is true um but I think they have enough going for them that this late in the stage, given given all the different bands that are getting in, that it's time to talk about Blue Oyster Cult as a as a an inevitable or soon inductee. Um, they are one of these. Oddly enough, they are one of these that has never, never, never been nominated. Um, 
which is kind of weird. So maybe maybe that will give them a little bit of freshness when they do get nominated. Maybe they'll get parachuted right in. You know, who knows? They're, they're a little bit part of that uh, rock, rock critic uh, elite. Uh, they're an East Coast band, which is a little bit rare. But, you know, you've got Patti Smith and Richard Meltzer and, you know, uh, even Sandy Perlman and Donald came from, from, the, from the whole rock critic end of things. They're an intellectual band. So maybe they've got some things going for them, you know, that the people vote for this kind of thing are going to, uh, you know, give them a friendly look. It's a little bit different than some of the other metal bands, uh, you know, some of which we're going to talk about. Um, so so they, they, I mean, it seems a little promising now that they might get in. Now, I'm going to mention a few other honorable mentions at the end of this episode, but I, I wanted to give honor and credit to a couple other honorable mentions now that I almost included at this level. I'm going in reverse order, by the way. Um, so this is my weakest pick. Um, but two other honorable mentions that I, I wanted to say here because I almost put them in instead of Blue Oyster Cult would be Soundgarden, um, who we did talk about in episode 16. They were nominated. Um, I, I kind of feel they are super inevitable soon too. Super creative band. Um, one of the big grunge four uh, multi-platinum albums. They were very, very successful. Uh, they came back and, and were, you know, were credible again, obviously the, the tragic loss of, uh, Chris Cornell, um, died. Um, but so, so they came back, they made a good album and, but they were big at the time. I thought it was kind of brave breaking up when you were still huge. Um, so they are a very important band who who were, a, were who were a huge band and also a cool creative band. The other one that I'm quite surprised about that I almost included in this fifth slot was Supertramp. Um, you know, big band. Uh, uh, Breakfast in America went four times platinum, even in the quietest moments. I think was gold. Um, they got a couple other golds in there. Uh, you know. I, Honestly, when I looked them up, I, th- I thought they were bigger than they were because because they are perennials on classic rock radio, but they are a little anonymous. They have fallen, I suppose, a little bit off the radar. Um, what were they? Were they a pop band, a pop prog band? Um, kind of hard to kind of hard to uh, pigeonhole them, which is to their credit. But I thought they were a pretty big band um, that uh, is not in the hall, and another one surprisingly that has never been nominated even once. So those are the only two honorable mentions I'm going to mention right now um let's move on to our number two take a listen to this this is bad company with rock and roll fantasy So Bad Company is one of these that I think uh, should absolutely be in. Everybody loves Paul Rogers. They love his voice. He's he's been a big uh, big enough uh, solo act on his own. He's he's done. Um, 
He, he was in the firm. Uh, so he's done some big things on his own. He was in free. So free, you know, there's the free connection here. Simon Kirk was in free as well. But basically, Bad Company, 1974 album, the self-title, five times platinum. Straight Shooter, three times platinum. Run With a Pack was gold. Burnin' Sky was gold. Uh, and, to, and to go along our theme of a band picking up some steam or getting some steam later, um, this album that this came off of, 1979, um, Desolation Angels, double platinum, and uh, and this was the big hit off of it. I think maybe Evil Wind or Atlanta. There are a few others I remember getting played on the radio. Um, but the other thing that's kind of cool about this band is. Um, well, okay, so they were obviously a big band. Uh, they were a post-British blues boom kind of band. You know, they're the kind of thing that uh, Jan Werner and, and the rock critics didn't like so much. Um, it was it was simple. They had these massive hits. I'm sure there was some jealousy there that, you know, oh, this this band is, is hoovering up all the sales that uh, New York Dolls and, uh, and the Stooges and television uh, weren't hoovering up. Um, you know, so so I can understand that a little bit. They're, they're like such a such a sort of old school, okay, boomer, classic rock radio staple, right? Um, but I did want to mention, you know, you want to talk about second, uh, second steam. Well, you know, I picked rock and roll fantasy from their second steam, but they had a third, uh, third big, uh, era for them. They did well in the hairband era with Brian Howe. So dangerous age, gold, holy water, platinum, here comes trouble, gold, um, and then later on, they came back and played kind of the shed tours and stuff with Paul Rogers and you know various various people and and uh, and and Paul did the shed tours. You know, fond memory was was uh, hanging out with him at, at Molson Amphitheater. Um, actually, that was bad company because uh, Simon Kirk as well got to interview him, got my stuff signed. Um, so. Uh, they participated. Paul Rogers is a great interview. Nice guy. Um, so, so they've been out there in the world over over many decades, and they've had a lot of success. Um, I think Bad Company uh, definitely is a shoe in, and uh, they are also another one of these that um, has never been nominated. All right. Well, let's take a little break, uh, and we will be right back. All right, back again here on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is episode 74, Not in the Rock Hall. 74, of course, is an important year for Bad Company. It's an important year. First album for uh, one of the later ones we're going to talk about here as well. Um, and uh, 74, I believe, is, you know, you could call that when uh, when Iron Maiden first started. We might be talking about Iron Maiden as well. Oh, look, we are. Uh, number three, take a listen to this. This is Iron Maiden with The Wicker Man. To your feet and so what are you gotta do? All right, so here we go. In our theme again, I wanted to pick something of a band uh, in their second steam uh, uh, or their or their second wave of success. This this could be arguably the third wave. Well, maybe maybe it's the second wave of success. Um, anyways, so Iron Maiden, uh, absolutely, they are my third uh, strongest choice of should be in the hall. And you know they're they're now in a case in, in a place 
where they've been dissing the hall and saying we don't even want to be in and stuff. And you know that that will probably rub those egos uh, who who run the hall uh, badly. Um, uh, because it is a little political still. It's not as political as other things like this. Um, this is why I'm not a big Hall hater. But um, yeah, Bruce has come out. You know, the guys in Maiden, they do lots and lots of interviews. They have big mouths. They're they're enthusiastic participators in the world. So they will they will voice their opinions and they have uh, they have dissed the Hall. But they are a massive, massive, massive travesty of not being in the Hall. Huge band. Leaders of the new wave of British heavy metal, uh, five classic, classic albums in a row. I don't think any of those records, uh, you know, most metalheads would say those are all classics and, and they will pick later classics as well. Um, they had a very distinct sound. Um, Paul Diano, Bruce Dickinson. Um, they've got this bass player who writes lyrics and has a great bass sound. They've got these great guitarists. Nico is one of the, you know, unique uh, drummers of all time. Um, but uh, merchandising, massive, massive merchandising band with Derek Riggs and uh, and Eddie. Um, and one of the amazing things about Iron Maiden, they slowly, slowly over time um, through through, you know, down periods, the the Blaze Bailey albums, you know, metal not being in, you know, almost breaking up. They're they're literally a large club band at one point, um, but they have become one of the biggest metal bands of all time. Um, they they sell tons and tons of tickets when they tour. Uh, they've been very prolific with records. That's super important, I think, uh, in terms of being in the hall. So they stay vital with with quality, quality new material. They've made lots of records in the 2000s and 2010s, and they've gone on tour perennially. They're a world band. I think that's important as well. Um, but I think it's just one of these really heartwarming success stories where you see these guys bite and scratch through, you know, through through uh, initial excitement, through big fame in, say, 83, 84, 85. Um, then things kind of go down. And uh, but they, you know, they still maintain in various uh, territories around the world. And then starting with the with the reunion, this is off a of Brave New World 2000, The Wicker Man, uh, that was the first single. Um, but through the reunion with Bruce, they've just gotten bigger, bigger and bigger. And I think that's a really cool thing. All right. So let's move on. Uh, my second most uh, intense choice for uh, put these guys in the damn hall now. Take a listen to this. This is Jethro Tull with One Brown Mouse. All right, so Jethro Tull, I think, should totally, totally be in. Um, you know, this is this is from a second steam sort of situation. This is Heavy Horses, 1978. It went gold. Um, but their first big fame was back with Aqualung, three times platinum. Uh, massive, massive uh, album. Uh, the, the previous one, I think, is gold. And almost everything is gold uh, for these guys. Um what I love about them is they are so unique. They're like a cross between a Celtic rock band and a prog band with a little bit of heaviness as well. 
Um, so yeah, they've, they've got some riffing going on with Martin Barr. Uh, they've got a flute player, which is really cool. Uh, Ian Anderson has a very distinct voice. Um, you know, great complicated album covers and albums. Thick as a Brick is considered one of the top prog albums of all time. It's a concept album, really cool album. Um, then they had that thing where they won the Grammy for best, um, for best, uh, you know, metal something or other, which, you know, really showed, you know, how clueless the Grammys were, but that was Crest of the Nave 1987, and that went gold, you know, obviously, uh, uh, on the, um, you know, on the notoriety of this, of this stupid win, uh, that they had, um, but, um, Ian Anderson is another guy who uh, who is very opinionated, and he's out there in the world. Again, this is another reason why he should get in, not shouldn't get in. He loves doing interviews. He's great at interviews, and they are a massive band live. I saw them a few years back at the Molson Amphitheater, and the place was packed. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I've also seen them in Massey Hall as well, which is a smaller venue, but... Um, Huge band. I mean that this this is a case of a band that was huge in the seventies and persevered and stayed huge and stayed legendary. I mean, I'm I'm not crazy about the the backbiting going on, the not not the use of the Jethro Tull name and not the use of Martin Barr and Ian Andrews and working together and things like that. And there's been a lot of reissues, which is really cool. But yeah, I, I love the way that this is a unique band. Who, who have been big for many, many years, Ian Anderson and Martin Barr, for that matter, um, stay engaged with the world. They, they talk to all of us all the time. Um, and, uh, and they still, and they, you know, still, whatever still means in virus times, but they've sold lots and lots and lots of tickets. Uh, super important band. So I think uh, they are my second choice right now for uh, should be in. And again, they are another one of these that have never been nominated. We'll talk about that in a, in a minute, this being nominated and not getting in business, um, which I don't quite disagree with. But um, Okay, let's move on. Uh, we're at our last choice and my top choice, um, and this should come as no surprise. Take a listen to this. This is Judas Priest with Between the Hammer and the Anvil. Stop All right, so Judas Priest, I have argued for a lot of years, should be in. Um, I wrote one of those long essays for Goldmine that I thought laid out all the points. I'm not going to go into them all over again here because I did in episode 16, but let's suffice to say, just go over it real quickly. Around for a long, long time, I think they had one of the greatest runs of rock creativity across any genre of all time between 1976's Sad Wings of Destiny and 1978-79 Killing Machines-Hellbent for Leather. Um, then they hit big fame, a lot of hits with uh, with the likes of songs on British Steel. Uh, not so much Point of Entry, but Screaming for Vengeance was certainly a big hit again. Lots of gold records, platinum records. Um, they even had a platinum record with a hair metal album, Turbo. Uh, this one I played off you here is is a later, uh, later you know, uh, kind of a comeback uh, sense of having a second steam. This is off of Painkiller, which went gold. A lot of younger fans think this is the greatest album they ever made. They went through their same period as Iron Maiden of, of a down period where they had another singer in um 
you know, Ripper Owens, uh, but then Rob came back and then they, they stayed engaged. They never got nearly as big as Iron Maiden again, but they stayed engaged. They kept making records. They even made a double record, Nostradamus. People love firepower. Um, and, and they played, you know, sufficiently large shows, um, you know, all through the 2000s and, uh, and the, and the 2010s. So they stayed engaged. They always, they always do interviews. You know, we've got a autobiography from Rob Halford just came out. Um, uh, we have KK gave us an autobiography. I've written two Judas Priest books or three or whatever it is, um, well, actually, it's the first one, and then it was an update split into two. So it's the story in, in two books, whatever. But they've been sufficiently booked. Uh, they've been sufficiently DVD'd and box-setted and all that stuff. Uh, lots and lots of success. Uh, so this is a band that was nominated in 2018 and nominated again in 2020. Um, so yeah, so we are at the end here. And I just wanted to mention, so this whole thing about getting nominated and not getting in, I think the more you get nominated, you, you pretty much should be getting in at some point. So there's that MC5 situation. Um, so a, a couple of um, a couple of uh, you know honorable mentions here. Uh, so yeah, we had our Motorhead, we had our Soundgarden, New York Dolls. Um, you know, was nominated once. I don't really think it's time for them to get in. Rage Against the Machine, I think, is big enough that they should be in. Smiths have such a legendary reputation that I think they should get in. Um, Little Feet I find a little bit odd because they are such critic darlings and they are amazing, but they were never that big a band. The Jam is one of my favorite bands of all time. I, I think they should get in, you know, if, if we're being a little more worldly about things. Uh, the UK loves them. Um, but Boston, um, Pantera. I think is is really coming up soon. They had a lot of success. They kept metal going in the 90s. Motley Crue, massive, massive band. They're not in. Um, a little more down the critic end of things. Bjork, Kate Bush, Brian Eno, Joy Division, Devo. Tina Turner's not in. I found that quite odd. Foreigner is not in. And Foreigner is one of these where I think there's been some spats with the hall. You know, and I think I've, I've read that Mick Jones has a little bit of a temper. And... Um, you know, I've interviewed him. He seems the most laid back guy I've ever, I've ever met. But, um, anyways, Foreigner, uh, you know, Foreigner is a little bit along that corporate rock thing, Boston. And, and like Boston, you know, they get accused of this corporate rock sort of tag. And that was the, um, you know, that was the enemy of the rock critic class. So I can understand some of these bands not getting in. They're considered not great bands, right? Uh, you know, by these people, the, the Rolling Stones of the world. And, and, you know, frankly, that's why, Ju you know, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden are considered Consider just cheesy bands to these to these guys. They don't they don't understand the multi dimensions and the depth of of why they should get in. There is cheesiness there. Obviously, you know we're metalheads. We know this. We have our radar up. We know what's cheesy. Um, but um, there are enough reasons, absolutely for sure. So there you go. Um, let's wrap it up there. Um, that is our uh, you know the the state of the union on not in the rock hall at this point in time, late 2020. Um, if you liked this show and want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi rhymes with no fee uh, at uh, Kofi.com/slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. I would like to thank uh, you know as as getting quite regular. Augustin Garcia de Paredes, Todd Bookman, Bruce Campbell, Colston. 
Veer, Dave Fisher, Kevin Latham, uh, Jason Leonard, Blaze Barshaw, and Jeremy French. Um, and of course, you can go to martinpopoff.com. I just got in the Van Halen, a visual biography, been packing up like a demon, uh, s- signing and sending those out. I still have lots of the Thin Lizzy, a visual biography. These are big, expensive coffee table books, a thousand copies limited. Um, I've still got some of the Blue Oyster Cult, I believe, maybe four or five left of that one. But yeah, lots of Thin Lizzy, lots of Van Halen just came in, and uh, and soon I will have my Angel book um, called uh, The Fortune on the Rocks with Angel. That just went to print uh, yesterday. Um, so I should have that before the end of uh, 2020 here. Thank you very much. We shall talk to you next time. Please go to the Facebook and uh, and let's have one of those classic Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, debates uh, because it's always changing, right? Our favorite bands actually do get in. And again, that's why I'm not a hater. Certain bands do get in and that's kind of cool. All right, talk to you next time. Bye. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.